Well, hello everybody and welcome to this special edition of GUcast coming to you from Amsterdam. That's right, I'm still on my sabbatical and as part of this I'm spending two fantastic days with my old friend Henk van der Poel, urologist and chief of urology at the Netherlands uh, Cancer Institute. So I had a wonderful day with Henk yesterday in his team in the operating room uh, doing robotic prostatectomy and extended pelvic lymph node dissection but using one of their beautiful fluorescence guided approaches as part of a prospective trial that he's running. Henk and his team have long been leaders in the field of fluorescence guided uh, surgery, uh, sentinel node surgery and more recently radio guided surgery for prostate cancer. So it was great to spend a day yesterday in the operating room watching one of his trial patients undergo some uh, very advanced surgery. And then today I went back and we had a fantastic few hours with some of Hank's young researchers. Uh, we had a series of updates on a number of research projects from uh, people such as Wouter Vogel, a radiation oncologist and nuclear medicine physician. Uh, Marius Haggins, who's doing a PhD on PSMA uh, uh, tracers. Uh, Hans Viermann, uh, who talked about when the primary tumor is not visible on PSMA PET. And Claire Burns, who's doing a PhD on fluorescent tracers for lymph node imaging, and yesterday's case was one of hers. Um, Hilda de Barros, who you'll be hearing from later in the podcast. Uh, Feist van Leeuwen, who's long been a pioneer in many of these technologies and has worked very closely with Henk over the past 10 years. Uh, Pim van Leeuwen, who's one of the uh, faculty urologists at the Netherlands Cancer Institute, uh, and also spent time in Australia uh, working on PSMA imaging and radioguided surgery with um, a friend of the podcast, Louise Emmett and uh, Phil Stricker. So I had a fantastic day as visiting professor with all these talented uh, uh, pioneers in this area, hearing about their PhD progress. We won't be able to bring you all of that, and some of it is still uh, data that's uh, uh, not yet ready for publication. But I, we are going to speak to uh, Hilda and Henk van der Poel about a really interesting paper that they've just published in European Urology on radioguided surgery. And I do hope that you enjoy that. Here in Amsterdam at the Netherlands Cancer Institute. So it's a GUCAS special uh, with the team here at the NKI, led by uh, my friend of long standing, uh, Henk van der Poel, urologist and chief of service here. Henk, how are you? Thanks for the invitation to come and see you. Great, Declan. It's an amazing that you visit us here from Australia. Yeah. Um, I know you're jet lagged now, but you're still, still strong after four hours of talking science extensively, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I think everybody considering to invite Declan to motivate his PhDs, and I'm looking to run to Hilda the Burroughs as well, uh, do it. Please yeah, do it. I and, think and it's great to have you here. We had a, an amazing morning here, and we'll run through a few highlights of that. But one of the big highlights for me was um, meeting you in person, uh, Hilda. Hilda de Boras, who's a PhD candidate here in the Department of Urology. Hilda, thank you for joining us on GUcast as well. Thank you for the invitation. I'm honored. Yeah, so I'm here on sort of a mini visiting professor tour this week. Uh, there's a few other meetings in Europe, but I was 
never been here before to this famous institution in, in the Netherlands, um, in Amsterdam, um, but I was really keen to come here and visit you to learn about what's going on in your research program. And we had a fantastic few hours, as you mentioned today, with some of your PhD candidates and some of your faculty, uh, Pim van Leeuwen, Fais van Leeuwen, who you collaborate very closely with, and a few other very talented PhD candidates. Let me tell you that we had a, a, a really enthralling uh, research session with this morning. Um, we saw some beautiful work coming out of your fluorescence uh, guided surgery, radio guided surgery, and other really interesting work on PSMA tracers. So. Um, you, you must be pleased with the, the breadth and talent you have in your PhD program here, Hank. Indeed, Declan, we are. I think uh, going back to the setup of the meeting that you're just visiting us, I think this is what was lacking in the last two years during Corona pandemic. I mean, we have been isolated, you have been isolated, even blocked out I mean, into, uh, into your country. I think having discussions like this in the open is important. And I'm, I'm, I really like your idea of podcasting all this information, getting it through and getting the reaction, evoking reaction, even within our group, as you learned this morning, I think it's essential to discuss the data we have and not to get fixed on the results too early and keep on exploring what you, what you discover. So um, to be honest, even after these four hours, like you said earlier, we have maybe more questions than answers, but these questions will lead to new findings, to new ideas. I'm really looking forward to the consensus meeting we're going to have on image-guided surgery and where to go technically, but also more clinically as being urologist. So, uh, no, I'm very happy to, uh, to accommodate your stay here, and I wish you a very nice and pleasant journey in Europe, because you're tracking Europe for the continuing weeks. I understand you go to Hamburg. Yeah, Hamburg to see Tobias Maurer, so we'll, we'll do a podcast from Hamburg as well, uh, and at the APCCC in Lugano this week as well. So. Busy week on the road. But look, I agree with you. It is great to be back in person because that sort of meeting we had this morning six months ago would have been on Zoom and we would have had the same talented people, the same important work being done. But somehow it's so much more valuable. It's a reminder to me today of how important it is to sit around tables and be able to ping questions quickly to people around a round table like this instead of raising your hand on Zoom. It, 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 it is, you know, it was good to get by, but it's good to be back in person, isn't it? Certainly. And it, yes. it also, I think, and Hilda will light on that. Uh, it, it's making clear where we stand and where we should be going. And I think specifically since I'm a urologist, you're a urologist, we should consider where urology will be going. Will be we diagnostic doctors using primary PSMA or will we be targeting biopsies or will we still do surgery? And, and how are we going to do surgery and how are we going to, you know, take our stance within all the other options of treatment there are. So I many think great questions. This is, this is excellent work. So a couple of, what I really want to talk about is uh, the recent paper that Hilda led in European Urology, um, uh, which we'll focus on now for the podcast. But yesterday, I must say, it was amazing as well. I spent the day in the OR uh, with you um, uh, doing one of your cases, uh, which is on a research program. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that after we hear from Hilda first. But I, I was blown away yesterday by your, your, uh, this case you were doing with your PhD student, a fluorescence-guided sentinel surgery type approach, just bewildering uh, uh, some of the prospective trials you have running. But Hilda, congratulations. First author publication in European Urology a couple of weeks ago on a really hot topic that we're very interested in. It's really the reason why I came to see Hank is due to radio-guided surgery. So yeah. tell us a bit about this uh, this paper you've just published. Yeah. Uh, well, this uh, paper is on the use of 
PSMA radio-guided surgery, but in the robot-assisted setting in recurrent prostate cancer. So uh, the, the value of PSMA radio-guided has been proven, but uh, mostly in open surgery. And since we are uh, yeah, performing most surgeries robot-assisted, we uh, performed a feasibility study to uh, evaluate whether we can translate this open technology into a robot-assisted technology. And therefore we needed, of course, uh, not the laparoscopic gamma probe, but we used the uh, drop-in uh, gamma probe. So tell us about the drop-in gamma probe. What, what is that and where did that all come from? Yeah, the drop-in gamma probe is a, a probe that was developed actually in the lab of uh, Vijs van Leeuwen. You mentioned him previously and Matthias van Oosteren. And the drop-in gamma probe is a probe that has been designed to be... Uh, uh, it can be used with the... Uh, in a robot-assisted procedure. Uh, so the drop-in probe is a, it's a smaller probe, of course, and it can be easily maneuvered and grasped by the uro urological surgeon uh, using the probe grasp. Fantastic. And then, so that's the little, the little gamma probe. Yeah. And then what sort of um, agent are you trying to detect? What was the, uh, the tracer? Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in this study, we used uh, technetium PSMA INS, investigation and surgery. So uh, patients received the injection one day prior to surgery. Afterwards, they returned home. And on the day of the surgery, they had first a, a spec CT to confirm or to validate the tracer accumulation and distribution. And uh, afterwards, we performed the surgery robot-assisted. All these patients had recurrent prostate cancer, so they were previously uh, treated with, uh, well, mostly radical prostatectomy, but some patients also with radiotherapy. And then during the procedure, uh, we used the radio guidance to help us navigate towards the, well, local or nodal recurrence. And they all had a proven node on a PSMA PET CT yes. prior, yes. okay, in the pelvis yeah. and yeah. so on. Fantastic. So what did you find? I suppose feasibility was the first uh, question. So was this a feasible trial to recruit and safely yeah. use this technology? Yeah, this technology is uh, feasible. That is our main outcome. Uh, and of the 21 PSMA PET avid lesions we saw preoperatively, 19 of them uh, were also detected using this uh, technology. Uh, so that's a 90% uh, uh, detection rate. Um, and without high-grade complications directly, directly related to use of the drop-in gamma probe or the administration of the tracer. That's fantastic. Good results, Hank. I think uh, Hilda has to be congratulated for the way she dealt with all the, all the issues of a clinical trial, not, not for Australia, but doing a clinical, prospective clinical trial in a, in a, in a cl clinical setting is requiring lots of administration and, and accuracy. So the thing is, what we learned is basically that the drop-in is valuable, the tracer is good, the indication should be more sharply defined, I think. And, and I'm really curious if you do the uh, podcast tomorrow, I maybe can ask Tobias already a question. How do you select your patients so yeah. well? Looking at your result of 60% BCR free in, uh, in two years yeah. after salvage, that is, that is really impressive, Tobias. And I think this is how what we should learn. And this is the population where we should do the randomized, hopefully clinical prospective trials in to really prove that it is adding survival to these patients. So the technology is there, uh, the patient selection is key now, I think. 
think. And Tobias's um, work has mostly been in the open salvage setting. I think he's the one who created this field over the last few years uh, of PSMA radioguided surgery, but using an open approach. So the reason your paper is important paper is it's a robotic-assisted approach. So you've, you know, this probe that uh, Feist van Leeuwen and others have developed really opens that up because I think there's a lot of hesitance to do an open uh, radioguided surgery approach for an indication, as Hank says, that's not well established yet. It is a form of metastasis-directed therapy, but I think at least if you can do it in the in a robot-assisted manner, it does reduce that morbidity, and um, and it sounds like the probe performs beautifully. Yeah, no technical issues, and um, yeah, good. Yeah, and does it take a long time? Is it does this add a you know? To be honest, it depends. So we, we were focused on on if I may allow yeah, for a second on, on the population which had either nodal recurrence or local recurrence in the fastafferens. We had two or three cases on that. And initially, we were afraid that maybe after surgery, some had radiotherapy, some had nodal dissection. It would be very difficult to get into the nodal area with some adhesions. But in particular, after the robot-assisted prostatectomies patients with recurrence there, adhesions were, they were there, but they were feasible, they were manageable. And I think Tobias will agree with that, that open is interesting, but maybe robotics allows you that very small detail and dissection that you need to come to the nodes and confirm their presence. Um, one of the things maybe, Batilda, you may like that, is an important reason we use the tracers that we can confirm ex vivo, that we yeah. really remove the tissue. Maybe you can say a little bit on that. Yeah, so we... Uh, yes, this is a real-life podcast, and you told me you're, you're busy today, Hank, <laughs> but fine. yes, but it's your wife on the phone. We can it is, Okay, there you go. Apologies, <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Vanderpool. So, of course, we did uh, in vivo measurements to guide us towards yeah. the uh, lesion, but we... Uh, always performed ex vivo measurements. So after resection yeah. of all the specimens, we uh, measured uh, the radioactivity in uh, the excised specimens. And this was really helpful because sometimes uh, in vivo, we thought that we really had the radioactive lesion, but then measuring it ex vivo again, uh, uh, we didn't actually measure any activity. That's so a, that's a bit tricky then. Yeah, so what do you do? You, 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 you do that and then you go back over to Hank on the console and say, excuse me, yeah. Professor Vanderpool, I think you, I think you missed it. <laughs> I have to bring in the bad news <laughs> and then we keep looking. But look, I, you know, that's why this is such a yeah. delicious uh, area for so many of us who do a lot of prostate cancer surgery. Whatever about the salvage setting, we'll talk about the primary setting, but you know, we do see these small um, PSMA pet avid nodes and we know the specificity is very high. We know it's highly likely that thing that we're seeing pre-op is going to be a lymph node, but they're not always in easy locations. These are buried, you know, down in the internal iliac area, mesorectal almost sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, well. you know they, they're not lit up like a little Christmas tree light um, like they are in, in the PET scan. Yeah. Um, not so, yet. Not so, yet. Not yet. Well, maybe. That, that, yeah, that's what yesterday's uh, adventure was showing us. So I think that's what you've just described is incredibly important because I think that's the real value here is that it's going to guide us towards these, these positive nodes. Yeah, this immediate um, confirmation was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You found that thing? Yeah, definitely. And having people in the OR like Hilda that's confirming and it's really knowing what they're doing, this is crucial. It's not just taking it out and confirming that it is there. It's often also taking it out and confirming that you didn't take the right note yet and then yeah. go back in and, and, and search further. So this is based on an acoustic signal. And in, in, in a minute, I want to ask you about fluorescence because that's been a career-long interest of yours, fluorescence-guided surgery and so on. But before we do, Hilda, this was in the salvage node setting, very feasible. 
what about the primary setting? Are, are there any plans to go on and, and examine this drop-in probe or other sort of radio-guided surgery approaches to patients who are having their primary treatment? They've had, they've, they're lined up for a prostatectomy plus or minus lymph node dissection. Will there be utility to use this probe there? Yeah, well, I definitely believe that uh, primary uh, prostate cancer patients, uh, that they uh, might benefit from this uh, technique. Uh, especially helping us in the with regards to the uh, lymph node dissection. Uh, so there's definitely interest from our side. The Australian uh, group also recently published published a paper on uh, the primary setting. But uh, yeah, I think we'll definitely also will uh, uh, expand the research yeah. towards the primary setting. So it's an acoustic uh, probe, beep, 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 for people who do central uh, type surgery for um, penile cancer, I was familiar with that. But of course, this is in the robot. This is in a very visual environment where you're doing this. And as I mentioned, you've had this career-long interest and collaborations with uh, Feist van Leeuwen and colleagues uh, using fluorescence to do sentinel-guided surgery laparoscopically and now robotically. And I saw some amazing work yesterday. But where do you see this field going, Henk? You've shown utility in radio-guided surgery, following off Tobias and what others have done. Um, actually, a lot of publications this month alone on this topic. But what about uh, a visual approach? What about... Yeah, Declan, I think it's an excellent point. I, I think that's basically the next step. And for fluorescence, the resolution of your, of your, your collimation of your single is quite rough. So you get centimeters. If you really want to go in detail, get on the obturator nerve and really know that the node is there, you want to see it rather than hear it as you said. Um, I think this is where we're going. We're working now on a, what we call hybrid tracer, which is both radioactive as well as fluorescent. So it can use the radioactivity to make the SPECT CT scan preoperatively, then intraoperatively use the acoustic signal of the gamma probe and then see it with fluorescence. I think this is where we're heading. It's adding an extra layer of complexity to the surgical procedure, I think. You need very sensitive cameras. Um, Maybe uh, Firefly cameras like on the Da Vinci will be useful, but they may be, there may be a need for some improvement there. So I think it will be the combination uh, of those techniques that will finally help us to, to, to really design the, the correct clinical trial because we don't want to make a clinical trial in which we have later have to say we didn't use the right technology mm -hmm. to find a significant difference in any endpoint. But on the other end, you're not going to wait until you have that ultimate uh, technology because what we learned in the last 10 years, and Hilda, I think, is proof of that as well, that cameras improved. So when we started Sentinel-0 10 years ago, the fluorescent cameras were not so very sensitive. We didn't know the right wavelength and the right filters to use, and we worked several company, with several companies to improve that. And we saw the improvement, the improvement in sensitivity, but also the improvement in specificity of the signal that you need to measure. So this is where we're going. And for you and me, like we are urologists, we are MDs, and all that technology improvement and technology development, uh, is, it never stops. You know, we're always continually improving. And what I think we should do as clinicians is say, okay, now we get this technology. It's available to most of us. The drop-in probes are available. The tracers are available. Let's start doing the right clinical trials to at least get a hint that it is beneficial to a patient. Because at the end of the day, and I know we spoke a lot about this with the, your research team here today, uh, and we've written about this in an editorial recently for European Urology Oncology, but 
the era of just following the normogram predicted guideline recommendation to do extensive pelvic lymph node dissection on people who don't have a target, there isn't a PET scan beforehand to show it to you, surely needs to change uh, due to the very fact that extended lymph node dissection hasn't been shown to improve survival and does cause morbidity. We can't, for example, be taking a patient with a 10% predicted likelihood of pathological node involvement and doing an extended lymph node dissection knowing that 90% of, of those patients will have nothing in the lymph nodes. And even the 10% who do will be very small because this, these will be, you know, have a PET scan that's negative. Uh, and they're so unlikely to benefit. So I think some sort of approach away from just doing extensive bilateral blind pelvic lymph node dissection uh, has to be enhanced by having some sort of an image-guided surgical approach or acoustically guided or both hybrid. Yeah, I always simple say to patients, well, we don't take out your prostate if we're not really sure there's cancer there, but we do it different for the notes. We take out your notes, although we don't really sure. It's only 10% or less often risk that you have nodal metastasis. So, so I think where we may go is that we don't do a lymph node dissection primarily and follow the patients carefully with PSA. If their PSA goes up, do PSMA PET, and then do a secondary, even targeted lymph node dissection, which may be equally well for survival, I think. And it saves patients, it saves the majority of patients, the primary lymph node dissection. I think this is where we're going. And then you should be prepared, because what we learn from the PSMA and from the central nodes as well is that these nodal metastases, we always thought that they were in the obturator external iliac region, but now we find them perirectal, yeah. which are very difficult to remove. Also very difficult to give radiotherapy to, because yeah. the radiotherapy dose on the rectum will be high. So if we have a, f have a very accurate technique to identify these nodes visually, then we dare to open the endorectal pressure and take out that lymph node. So I think this is where the surgery should improve and can improve. And to be honest, I think we also have to learn to adapt to that kind of surgery. We have to be very careful. It should be bloodless. If you want to do fluorescent surgery, don't let it bleed because blood is quenching your sinew. You don't see anything anymore. You get confused on the anatomy. So this is one step. If you want to go for fluorescent surgery, start doing your surgery bloodless. And this is not easy. It takes more time. We learned and we just heard from Fries van Leeuwen that if you give an expert, a very a surgeon with high dexterity, you give them image-guided surgery, their, their performance seems to decrease. It, it gets worse. Yeah. So this is all things and metrics that we have to learn and we have to put into our training. This will be a challenge as well. But this is definitely going to keep us busy as urologists in the coming years, I'm sure. Fantastic. Well, look, congratulations uh, again, Hilda. That's a beautiful part of your PhD. And uh, yeah, good to see your name up in lights in this very important publication in European Urology. And Hank, thanks again for the welcome this week uh, here at, in Amsterdam. Thanks for you know great dinner with all your faculty and trainees last <laughs> night. Sure, Dan. Traditional Dutch hospitality. Sure, Dan. Happy beating, eh? Thank you for stirring up some very interesting questions. It was <laughs> yeah. very motivational. Thanks. Thanks so much. I'm sure our listeners uh, will have enjoyed it as well. Thanks again and best wishes. Sure. Thanks. Welcome. So that's all we have from the Netherlands Cancer Institute here in Amsterdam this week. It was a really uh, great privilege for me to spend a couple of days here with uh, Henk and his team, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this content. We'll put a few links in the show notes to some of these uh, important publications. Thank you. Thank you.